War Podcast Episode 4 Go. Hi, Dylan. Hi, Mason. What's up, man? Not much. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah? Drinking a cup of coffee. Yeah, how's your coffee? It's so fucking great. With your flavored creamer and your... You know what time of year is best for peppermint mocha? All times? Every time of year. Yeah, my coffee's great, Dylan. Thank you. Dylan, who are you? So great you had to drink a cup of water right now. Well, you, to chase you it. always need water. I don't need your shit. First thing in the podcast, mister. Um, I'm Mason Brown. I'm Dylan Alvento. We make games. Um, and this is our story. <laughs> dum dum. We are a independent game development initiative in Richmond, Virginia. And we're trying to chronicle our thoughts, feelings, emotions, and life stories as we go into game development. No. We want to kind of chronicle um, what we make, why we make things the way we make them, and, and what we think of the things that are around us that inspire us and shape what we do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. So, Dylan, how you feeling? I'm feeling good. Yeah, man? Um, yeah. Nightlife still chugging along. You hit that wall. I mean, you, you've had a week off. From work, I have, and, and you hit this wall after having too much time off. Where it's just like, I'm not being as productive as I could. I need someone telling me what to do, or telling, or you know, keeping me to my deadlines, or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's always a challenge, because you know, you say, all right, get up in the morning. All right, I'm gonna gonna work, you know, work regular nine to five on this game all day, and then two hours in, you're like, I'm tired. Well, in one way. I'm terrible at working at home. Yeah. There's no way. I'm not. I mean, I go to the library. I go to A to 4 I go to work, work. Um, but put me anywhere not in my, like my house is, I don't like bringing my work home, period. Because then it makes what's supposed to be a, and that was a really important lesson I learned at SBNA is like, if I bring my work home, my house is stressful. And then I can't stop thinking about work at home. And that's a really, like, in all, whatever those you know, life hack and, you know, productivity people, they always talk to you about that as, like, keep your home and work kind of separate. And especially, you know, I live in a studio apartment, so, like, I'm sitting right here, my bed is right there, and goddamn, does it look comfortable. Yeah, it's tricky. Well, I don't like having a TV in my room. I don't even like using my computer in my room. Yeah. Um, which, my, you, don't, you don't have a choice. You, you could go work in the kitchen. Yeah, you work in the bathroom. <laughs> well, I mean, you could kind of make a desk against that one wall. I mean, I have a desk set up and everything. No, I know, but it's, like, in your bedroom. So, like, if you wanted to, like, break the eye line. But that, that like, that's just an example. That really doesn't affect me much, like, because I worked in my dorm fine. But I think it has seen that same thing over and over. But if I were to go to the library or some coffee shop or wherever, then that becomes monotonous. So I think it's consistently breaking it up, going from different places. Well, one thing, like, for, like, freelance work, you know... Or anytime I'm doing products for other people, like I'm not beholden to any timeline of the fact that I owe them by a certain deadline. That's where things like project management suites like Trello would come in handy. We just gotta figure out a way to use it. Yeah. Um, I think Trello actually is a really strong tool, especially because you can break things out in a checklist. And in terms of development, checklists are fantastic. Like, just, he needs to be able to walk. Check. He needs to be able to go backwards. Um, and then debugging checklists help a lot because mm-hmm. when we're testing, um, 
it would go a long way at organizing information that we need to address. The problem that always occur that comes up with something like Tre- Trello or one of those other pieces of productivity software is that I get I feel like I'm investing too much time in just using like putting all my thoughts and everything into Trello. Yeah. And then that becomes, you know, an hour dedicated to that where I just go, okay. But they're, all, oh, go ahead. they're all juggling around my head. I can just go do them. Right, but that works really well. But, you know, when every person you add, no, I know. That, that mind flow, I mean, even between you and I, knowing what's done and what needs to be done, which we're pretty good at communicating that, but I still think, like, let's say you want to bring in a new artist or someone to help out or another programmer. Um, stuff like that could help for longer form projects just because everyone's going to be able to jump on when they have time. And instead of having to me to reach out to you and be like, what do I need to do? What do we need for this? Or what are you thinking for this? Your thoughts are there. It's just, it, it, that one hour opening it up could give you four focused hours as opposed to one focused hour and then three hours of trying to communicate back and forth. Um, I do agree with that. I definitely think going into post Nightlife and Next Project, we should try to figure out a way, because we had the timesheet for a while, and then we had, we we're trying to organize things in certain ways, you know? I think we need to pick pick one and just try just try it for a project, and just see. Because I think that we, we're definitely more organized in Drive with Ward and getting assets together, and we have a pretty good asset handling. Like we can hand assets back and forth pretty well, um, but you know, we got to figure out a way to to put projects in a, in a way that we can use together. And then in Slack might be that too. I mean, I like using Slack. Yeah, Slack, and Slack's cool because you can just throw well, anything. Well, Slack can into integrate it. with Trello, so if you're just messaging me, you can also hit slash Trello or whatever. I don't know. And it'll Tell go to the card. Um. So we can set that up. And you too. can throw documents in there and shit. You can throw everything. Yeah. And the best part is, especially if I get in doing more Unity development, we can you can share code snippets super easily and comment on them. Yeah. Um. So if I'm like, let me see your walking script, and because we're trying to repurpose the walking script to make a running script. So I just need to do whatever variable and then like up the speed or something. Mm-hmm. Or we need to like change the animation or something. You could just send me that and then I could send you back what I'm thinking and then it goes a long way in that. Because Jamie and I would use it. Um, Jamie who was a web developer we used to work, I used to work with, would use that to send our, because we would use stuff like database replacement software, um, code, which is just a PHP script. Um, so you just be like, I need the script and you just throw it to you in Slack. Well we had a Slack channel that then fed into our IDE. And that's where we would pull code snippets from. Cool. So that was pretty cool. And that's through Coda, right? That's well, basically, it, it would feed to a ongoing Drive folder that we would we would post to that, and then it would post that into Drive, and then Drive would speak to Coda, and then it would make this ongoing list. Okay. Um, so a little daily training. You know, you know, Panics publishing, uh, Firewatch, right? Mm-hmm. Don't be that. Yeah. I just. Always thought that was a really clever thing to do, because I mean I don't know how Campo Santo did pitching to regular publishers or just self-funding themselves, but I think that was really. Panic must have some money. Oh, I'm sure they do. Between Coda and what else do they make? Mm, I'm gonna look it up. I like I like Coda. I mean I've been leaning on Sublime lately because they do Coda, Transmit, Prompt. Status board. Yeah, I think I got an email about status board the other day because I'm on like Coda's mailing list. 
I just I hate the code icon. Why you don't like the leaf? I like this leaf. <laughs> I don't like, like the, the iOS single color. I don't like leaf. the skeuomorphic leaf. I don't hate the Coda logo. Excuse me. I just it doesn't make sense to me. I, I love know. the Panic logo. I think. Panic oh, it's logo. great. It's oh oh, and I like the you know I like this little truck. I don't know. I hate also the gradients that everything is using iOS flat buttons now. But yeah, they're not great. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was a really clever piece of just business thinking. Just oh, it doesn't necessarily need to be a game development publisher. It can be any software. To well, and if you, I mean, one thing I've I've learned too is that a with the internet the way it is is that people are willing to give money. People are willing to give a lot of money. And there's something to be said about movies do it all the time. A big producers, what producers do in movies is they bring money, but they ask for money to make movies. Like, that's, that's their job. And but like it's also no single producer, well, I guess producers less so, but directors and stuff, they're not beholden to a single film distributor publisher. Right, I mean, you have a lot of focus testing and a lot of that stuff, but a lot of it is... Um, Especially for like these passion projects that go around to get made, like Little Miss Sunshine or something, you know. A lot of it's just we got to go ask everyone's uncle, everyone's like, "What can you give us? A couple hundred bucks, a couple thousand dollars." Um, and you you actually lean on those big donors to kind of get the project going, and then small donors keep it running. And I think that that mentality scares people because that leads to a lot of unionizing and a lot of. Stuff that game dev- development hasn't done because a lot of private studios. Um, but I mean, you saw the studio system broke down in film, and I, I have. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't break down in games. If you didn't see more people that weren't, which is kind of sad. I like the idea of a team making a thing and then making another thing as a team. I think that it goes a long way. But you know, you're gonna get. We're really good, and you already see it happening. Engine Tech is built out of house and then brought in house to build. Um, unless you're like Naughty Dog. Uh, a lot of sound design will be taken out, or um, scale form, or those video rendering companies. Um, so you can see the industry moving in that direction, but uh, which is when going to ask for money makes more sense now because now you can you can assign hard numbers to like we're budgeting this thing out. We need assets. We need this that. But I also think game development, like any other creative endeavor, is so fluid. It can go so shit one day and so right the next day that it's hard to scope out too. Or software. Um, oh, yeah, because you can never assign a hard number to debugging time. Shit like that. Testing. Speaking of debugging, I'm playing Galaxy. Galaxy's awesome. I think it's super great. There's a bug in that game. There's a bug in that game. There's an actual, like... There's, there's literal bugs, too. But where the four face buttons stop working, I've had it happen, like, ten times. And, in and that this is game, a roguelite, right? Right. In that game... The only way you can go back to the title screen is if you die or succeed to the mission. So I keep having to go up and pull the power cord out of my PS4 because I want it to restart me at the beginning of the mission so I don't lose all my stuff in the last mission. It's a fucking... It's like... I don't think I've ever had a bug in a game that outright just, like, infuriated me. So I, so I haven't been paying attention to Galaxy. This is... You're going to be talking more about the game itself than that bug. Me? Am I? No. This, oh, you are? What okay. I'm saying. No, that's fine. The words. Nope. Me. 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 I've only heard snippets about what this game is, so I'm going to just describe the game to you, and you tell me how accurate this description of this game is. 
Okay. So it's a top-down spaceship flying game where I assume you shoot enemies and you fly your ship around. I don't know anything about, like, the level design or anything. I just assume it's free space. You can just go wherever you want. And you acquire upgrades and items of some sort or you acquire money to purchase items later on and then there's some sort of like gated level system where you go from level to level and then there's the death mechanic where there's basically two options for death you either die and restart that single level and try to work at a chance because you lose your stuff when you die well I'm sorry, don't nod I just want to so I see if I understand this correctly. You die, and you lose your stuff, but it's not lost-lost. It's just in the level, kind of like um, Shovel Knight, and you have to go and retrieve it. But if you die on that run, you go all the way back to the beginning, or in any case, you can choose to go back to the beginning, but you lose all your stuff permanently. How close is that? Any turn a robot. Okay, so it's like Voltron. Yeah. No, it's Robotech. So the way the game works is it's actually pretty cool. So it's got a lot. It's you can tell the rogue like. It's got a sense of rogue like. It's closer to like, a Dark Souls where like Dark Souls has a rogue element where you die, you get thrown back, but you don't restart Dark Souls, right? You get thrown back to your previous fire, uh, bonfire, and you lose all your items when you die. Um, I guess you can collect them. I've never done that. In Galaxy. Right. Um. But it's broken into seasons. There's five seasons. So you only get thrown back to the beginning of each season. So if you beat a season, you've made forward progression. You never outright restart. You can go back and play the other seasons with because you unlock equipment throughout the game that you can find, which is a very rule-like mechanic. Uh, so if you go back all the way to the beginning, you can start with all the unlocks you've... Like, you, still, you still have to find them in the game, though. You never... You always start... You don't have them on your person, but mm -hmm. like they are available there. So there's stuff that you're never going to come across until you actually unlock the ability yeah, to find, to find it. it. And then it can show up in shops randomly. It can, But what's really cool about it is it's got this... The, the part that I find interesting is... I mean, the roguelike element, I just like... I like games that have stakes. Um, Big, meaty stakes. Right. And so that part, it gives a weight to the combat. It gives a sense of importance to combat that every decision because you can fuck up bad you can fuck up real quick and then you're like well shit this sucks you know just like Rocket League if you over jump one way then you give them a free goal right and it's that same sense of like whoa I like that sense of like thrill because it's you purposely did something or you purposely fucked up not purposely but see I like roguelikes like this like I like Rogue Legacy like love Rogue Legacy never beat it but I really like Rogue Legacy because you just have that iteration, iteration, iteration. But again, to, I think I've said this before, I like the direct control. I never liked FTL. I played probably like three or four oh, games. I love FTL. Of man. FTL. And it's just because, well, just sitting here and click, 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 it's just, it's not as engaging to me. But this is like kind of like an Asteroids. This is much more like a shmup or an Asteroids. Yeah. And the propulsion mechanic's really cool because. It's so it's you're in space obviously so if you put propulsion in one direction you can't stop unless you either Turn around. put the force against the other way or you can hit the thruster and the reverse thruster at the same time and it'll just equal yeah yeah so and you have a boost thruster um, so the move 
you have a boost gauge that okay. you can fill up. So you can always throttle, but there's a speed, a boost that you can use, and you can use it in any direction. You can use it in reverse. But the the movement, it, take, it takes a while to learn because stuff will come at you so fast that if you get caught up in the movement, you You're can't do what you need to do. Um, but once you get comfortable with the movement, you start being able to do things you didn't like. There's a vault mechanic where you can come forward, essentially jumping over enemies and, and lasers, and combine that with the boost, all of a sudden you can charge at an enemy, vault over their laser, turn your ship around, fire the reverse thruster, and fire lasers as you're backing away from them, which is like my go-to mechanic. Um, or you can turn to a mech, grab them, throw them into the wall, stun lock them, and then turn back into a ship, and then shoot at them, jump over them, because they're already locked in the other direction, and then keep shooting at them. Wait, so is it in space? It's all in space. But how are you a mech? What is the mech? It's like a flying mech. Okay. Like in Robotech. You ever see like space mechs? They all fly around. They, what is, the, what the, is Robotech? Oh my goodness. Robotech is like a... You never played Robotech Battlecry for GameCube? Uh-uh. I'll show it to you. I can't... I won't be able to do it justice by describing it. So anyways, but the mech... The controls are the same. But the ship is just more for range combat, and the mech has a sword. Okay. So that's when you want to get in close, and the mech can grapple. Some, some good old CQC... Right, and it's really useful because some enemies can only attack very closely. Okay. So how much customization do you have? So, okay, so that's the thing. So the the ship itself, you find items that affect your boost speed, your shields, you have uh, armor, which is your, when armor depletes to zero, you're dead. Um, your shields are constantly recharging, and your enemies have the same thing. Their shields recharge, but their health is permanent. Um, and is this a visualization on the ship itself, or yes. is it like you don't a see any meters? You can see how much damage you're doing as a number, but it's all relative. But more so, you'll see the shield pop, kind of like Halo, and then you'll see that you're doing damage. And then over time, the ship will light on fire. It means it's getting closer. It'll start smoking. It's pretty good. All the visual cues are great um, because they have vision cones. You have a sound meter around your ship, so that the more thrust you provide, the wider that circle expands. So enemies can hear your ship too. Oh, so there's like a minor stealth mechanic. Oh, well, that's the thing. Okay, so the, 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 the best part about it is the AI is super... It's like playing against like Far... And he talks about this, the creator. It's like playing Far Cry AI. So there's different types of enemies that have different roles in combat. So like if you run across some like survey drones, they see you and then they just run to their nearest big guy to bring them back. So they'll leave. So you want to kill them really fast. But there's... Usually, like, a, a battlecraft, like, big cruiser thing with, like, two wingmen. And you want to take out the wingmen first because the amount of focus you need to put on the big one to take it out is you need to focus on that one to get its shields down over and over because shields are charged super fast. So it forces you, and they fly in these, like, formations, and they move around. But eventually, you'll fly in, and everything's going to shit. And everything's just fine. So you have to, like, kind of single them out. and It's pretty cool. And then... There's factions within each world. So there's like raiders, the empire, and these bugs. And they'll be fighting on their own too. So you can either ignore them or you can move in or you can try to take a bug, pick him up, throw him at them, hope that the empire will start shooting the bug because they don't want to see him, that it'll pull his aggro off you. There's a lot There's a lot of options. But you don't receive the whatever currency it is or treasure or loot or whatever. When they blow up, you get scat. Like, right. scat but you, so you can't just play this game... St- Super passively, because you won't make it to the end. Oh, there's so many. You know, there's bosses you have to outright shoot down. Um, but like for like missions where you need to destroy satellites, you can actually just go make them follow you, and then use the satellite as cover while they shoot at you, and have them destroy their own satellite. 
Um, but yeah, you can't. I don't know if you'd be able to like outright just run away from combat. Now, escaping from combat's a big mechanic because if you're overwhelmed, there's too much stuff going on, you're gonna lose. You have to go in and you have to pull them out one by one. Um, so, so there's like there's a range on when they'll stop aggroing. Yeah, you can you can boost out, but some of them are really fast and they they can just those keep up with you the whole time. And there's these big sentinel robot dudes that, you know, they all they have a very cool visual language. It's very obvious who's of each faction by color, purple, orange, and green. And then the ship design, you learn really quickly what they, what that means and what kind of combat they bring to you, which I like. Because their silhouettes are really obvious of, like, this guy has a ton of armor. And he moves really slow. Or these are really fast little guys. And they have these little strobe effect on them, the probes. Um, and they never outright spell any of their skills out to you. I think you can pull up like a glossary and it'll kind of outline it to you, but I've never done that. And I assume there's different kinds of weapons. Like there's like a beam, and All there's right. like a wave. And so you like can a... you can customize your muzzle, your laser type, your laser core, your fire rate. So there's like five or six things that you can customize. And it affects the spread of the lasers as it goes out of your ship, how many lasers leave the ship, what the lasers are made of, so I can get like a plasma core that can light enemies on fire, um, and then a rate of fire. So, get, like, so it's burst. all for the weapon. There's nothing for. So then you can also get things like like I just got one today that makes your engines run quieter, so that when you're doing your max boost, it's still really quiet. So you can just move around really quickly and, and kind of pick guys off much easier. And you can get armor upgrades, you can get, uh, like, poison paint so that when anything melees you, it gets stunned. So it's everything. Every, there's upgrades for everything. Okay. Booster upgrades. Um, but it still has those roguelike mechanics where you can lose all that and have to... Re- when you die, you start up... So the, the cool thing about it, like Rogue Legacy, is that there's this crash coin mechanic that you collect these coins and they randomly drop every once in a while. And every one you drop, you pick up, when you die and come back, it equals a certain amount of credits. So, if you have a really good run, you get, like, eight or nine crash coins. When you die, it sucks, but you still start out and you can kind of upgrade your ship pretty far. Now, if you die over and over, you're fucked because you're running out of crash coins. But it does let you kind of, because there's a storm mechanic before you launch every mission, it lets you kind of start off without just, like, shit gear. Because it's really hard if you're, like, a low-level ship. But, um, it's pretty good. But that bug sucks. Because you need all that stuff. What are you playing, Dylan? Rocket League. And also, I played... I got from some humble, humble bundle... Mercenary Kings? I love Mercenary Kings. I don't like Mercenary Kings. Yeah, I can see that. I mm. like the crafting mechanic. Like, the second I walked up to the, the merchant... I just love the art. And Yeah, and the art's great. I just don't like... Con- well, it's not Contra. It's uh, Bionic Commando. I just don't like that. It's kind of a little bit of both, but yeah, it's yeah. very, very. You shoot straight. It's um. It's just I don't like having to jump and then have to time my shot on my descent and then I have to shoot like a single shot at a time. It's just I don't know. That leaves something to be desired. I really like the gun customization. I thought it offered because Tim and I played. It's really fun in co-op, actually. Yeah, I'm sure. Like it's really fun because. You can kind of tackle things from both sides, and that game is so based on orientation that it does help to have a guy that can, like, crawl around. 
And it can let you like play with the weapon variants. So like if one guy has like a long range sniper and one guy's got a shotgun, you can kind of work together. But it's definitely a um, like I don't think I wonder if you like Monster Hunter. No, you don't think you like why? Well, I played that demo for 3DS, and uh, granted, right. I played five minutes of it, but that's right, that's right. I remember that now. Got real janky. It's, it's like, not janky. We just, you just it's go very like, purposeful. I guess I. I didn't care for it. I can't even... I can't express why I didn't care for it. It was... First off, they start... Like, it's a demo, so, like, you pick whatever the classes... Or they it's just all based on weapons. Character... Okay, so it's weapons. And... And the guy walks out, and there's, like... Maybe a little too long of an intro cutscene, where she's kind of, like, panning over him. And then it's like, alright, walk to this place. And you walk to the place. And then it loads a, another screen and says, okay... You're here. All right, watch this other place. And you walk to the second place, and it loads another screen. And then you do that about one or two more times. And then it finally gets you to the nest or whatever it is where the dinosaur ripoff monster is. And then you fight that. And there's, you know. A great GG. A great Jaggy. Whatever. A great Jiggy. Jiggy. Gruntilda. You fight. So, let me tell you why I like Monstron, and then you told me that these, this appeals to you at all. Because Monster Hunter is, and a lot of people don't like games like that, because it, like, it took me like two years to learn to like Monster Hunter, because I played when I was younger too, because Riley and I would try to play it, and Riley got way into it, my uh, younger brother. And um, Monster Hunter, require, because there's no health bars, there's no on-screen feedback about how much damage you're doing, or whatever, the game designers have made it very purposeful that when you hit it hard, it reacts. And when you... The way you know it's almost dead because it starts like limping, or it'll start breathing heavy, or it'll—it's it, very. You have to learn each monster's reactions to you, what they react to. Like you don't know, and it's kind of fun to kind of. You can go online and look up strategies or whatever, but you're never going to be able to know how to react to it, which is kind of like a fighting game until you're in the moment, which I do like a lot. So that was the thing, like that sounds fine. Like I'm like. The issue for me was not loading in the levels and stuff like that, and the art design, you know, is super Japanese, but that, that stuff doesn't bother me. What bothers me is the fact that there was a pause after every attack that I did, and that the the monster... A, a pause as in, like, your character stops swinging, or your pause... Well, it's just like, you know, he impact. hits, and then kind of, like, freezes for a sec at the end of the hit, and then kind of recoils. At least that's how I felt. It just felt very slow, and I know... Like Dark Souls, it's all about animation priority and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I don't think I fully understand what... And I've never played Dark Souls, so I don't think I've fully wrapped my head around what that means and how to make that enjoyable. But if I'm going to fight something, let me fight it and let it be and let it be frenetic and fluid and kin kinetic. Like, don't let it be this weird kind of like... It's like the difference between sword fighting and fencing. I think fencing's really stupid because it's this weird kind of chess game where, like, you scoot forward and you take a lunge and then you scoot back and then the other guy scoots forward, takes a lunge, scoot back, and there's this weird back and forth. Well, in fencing, it's based on, on waiting for an opening. But you know what I mean. No, I know. I think that's awesome, though. I don't. I think actual sword fighting where you have to, like, like it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's constantly, there's constant momentum is what's important. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of vi a lot of video game sword fighting is that constant momentum. But what I like about games like Dark Souls and like Monster Hunter is that 
you know, if I have a, a giant fucking sword and I take a swing, there's going to be a follow through. Like, it's a commitment. Like, and if you had a real sword, like, if you like, had a big war hammer or something and you swung it at someone, if you missed, you fucked up. And that opens you up for, like, a re- retaliation. Sure, it just seems like there's no threshold between learning how the weight of the attacks work and just enjoying it because it's just it's it just feels it all feels off and you brought up fighting games and when we sat down and played that one round of mortal kombat x i haven't played a fighting game in god knows how long like i told you mm-hmm. last mortal kombat i played was two or whatever one came out on playstation one mm-hmm. and i'm like all right i'll play around let's go all right sub-zero let's go and then i go to move forward and he like scoots an inch and i'm like what the fuck is this and like i i hit the stick again he scoots forward and it's like what is this who plays games like this where like i read something about how there's a really good tumblr called asking a game dev and he and he goes over a lot of different stuff and one of the things he was talking about was a lot of quote-unquote story and a lot of the stuff you can communicate to the audience and to a player is just through logic so you know there's a health pack, and the person touches it, they know it's going to... Heal them. Heal them, okay. and et cetera, et cetera. When you do things that are antithetical to common sense or how people think things will move, that's when issues arise. And that doesn't always mean it's bad game design. Right. But there's going to be a higher learning curve. Right. And I was talking to this to Alex and Kirby, two of the guys you introduced me the other week, about how... Fighting games are kind of built on this huge, archaic knowledge that's just built up over the years. Yeah. And I don't think that's conducive to at least my enjoyment of them. I think games like Dive Kick and that Rise and Thunder game are kind of oh yeah taking a stab at... The cool part about fighting games is the, the in-the-moment looking for someone to fuck up. Same with, like, you know, at Rocket League, again, you look for someone to fuck up and you make your move. You, you look for the opening and you strike. Um, which is not like, like an action RPG, which is just, you're, it's a relentless press. Like you just, you are the superpower, you know, and the thing about playing about Dark Souls is that you can do that, but when you go all out, you've opened yourself up to attack, which is why I don't talk about Dark Souls, you just have the shield up. Right. But I think fighting games, the movement thing is weird, because I don't understand, because you, you, you press forward, you move forward. But he was like scooting. It was uh, like, boop, 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 what, he starting to run at him? Yeah? I, I, if you're on one side of the screen and I'm on the other side of the screen, I'm not going to wait 30 you seconds. You don't have to... a dash. Is that what it does? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you might have been dashing and then canceling your dash as you did it. I don't know. Fuck. You fucking dashing, you fucking quarter turn kick, you fucking chip damage, you fucking Hadouken. I don't like the dial a combo thing. I agree with that. But I do like... I like learning a system... But I've never been into any game enough to exploit a system, except for like Company of Heroes, where like I learned like the animation time of all like them taking cover and like I would like capitalize on that. And, like, but yeah, stuff like that. Just I don't know. I I just think I'm a more kinetic thinker. So if things aren't moving, I think there's something. I don't you know. ever play like you like board games? Yeah, board games are fun because there's a there's a game within the game, or there's a s- secondary game. The secondary game is talking to whoever you're playing it with. 
That's true. Like, if there was... If a game of Pong came up between the animations in Monster Hunter or whatever, we'd be fine. That sounds... I don't know. I think what Monster Hunter does something very different, which I appreciate. I respect it. No, 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 no. I'm not saying you're not. Don't worry. Um... I did want to bring something up, though. Okay. Um, no. About weapons. Okay. And about the weightingness of weapons. So, my girlfriend Wendy and I went to Lowe's, I think yesterday, to get some rope to hang curtains, because our hooks aren't big enough to hold regular curtain rods. If they could hold, you could fashion your own. Out of what? Wood. What? We got rope. It worked fine. Alright, well, I'm saying you can make Now we have wood. sails. Huh? Because we had to string it along the entirety of that wall. Really? Because there's hooks, like, mm -hmm. in the middle and then at the ends of each window. And then we got to the end, and then we just yanked on the rest of the rope and it just strung them up taut like a sail. Pretty good. But while we were at Lowe's, we were just, I don't know, dicking around looking at stuff. Mm -hmm. And they had wrenches, like monkey wrenches. like the big ones. Big-ass yeah, monkey they're wrenches. Big. They're like three feet big. And I looked at one, I was like, holy shit, and I picked it up, and that thing, fucker's like 10, 15 pounds. Yeah, I think I'm like fucking longsword is. And I was like, holy shit, no wonder why Bioshock has this as your like, default weapon, or like a weapon that is sustainable throughout the entire game. Cause Even those adjustables that we used at the boathouse. I mean, you could fuck someone up. You could stab someone with those. Like That could do some like interior damage, but this is just like blunt force trauma. Kind of thing. If you if someone took a swing at you, you you'd be hurting. You know those are used for piping. Yeah, yeah, big, big, big piping. As, yeah, I think get so. a lot of leverage. I just like it because it, it looks comically oversized. It looks like something you find like the Willy Wonka. Like oh, this is our wrench set. This is our giant I, screwdriver. I use this for beating the Oompa Loompas. <laughs> Jesus, it's fucking like workman's comp case against Willy Wonka. The state of California versus Wonka. <laughs> um, what else have you been playing? That's it. That's it? I haven't played many games. What have I been playing? I haven't played Batman. I'm waiting for the patch to come out. Oh, I've been playing Metal Gear Solid 5 Ground Zero. Oh, I saw that. I love it. Oh, God. It's so good. I need to go back to that. Uh, do you have Ground Zeroes? Yeah, I bought it. Really? I got, like, I played for, like, 20 minutes. I didn't think it was bad. I was just, like... Playing everything I bought. I want you to beat it. The The story's fucking weird. No, I don't want to look at that final cutscene. No, fuck that shit. I don't Okay, so I do you remember like, who was it? Patrick Clevick was like all offended by it? Someone was all offended by it. I didn't find it outright offensive. I just find it gross. It was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was like revolting. I was like, what the fuck? Because he's like digging through her admin or something, right? Yeah. Get the bomb out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the game itself, it's, it it feels really good. Like, it's a really well-done stealth game. And the the main mission, Ground Zeroes is the main mission, all at night. But when you beat it, you unlock the side ops, which is in the same camp, which I like. I like that you get to know this area really well. Yeah, it just turns into a playground. Right. But it's in the daytime. And that's when it's way more interesting, because your visibility is, it's all about you just hiding. And, 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 and using the environment, it's much more like Far Cry. Um, yeah, which is what I realized when I start start playing it. I mean, it's a little slower, like just in terms mm -hmm. of movement and stuff. It's a little more methodical. Well, we'll continue what you're saying. I'm sorry, but I I thought it was fine. It um the cool thing is that when you get better at it, you learn 
the enemy's hearing isn't super great. <laughs> no, it's not. So you can sprint a lot, and you can position yourself in other places. And then I figured out, I finally figured out you can go in first person. I'm like, why can't you do that in the other games? So I figured that out. Um, but you can do, like, the, the ways you can get into the admin building, which is a big part of that first mission. Like, I got in on accident. Because a guy drove by. <laughs> He's tripped in. No, a guy dark. drove by in his truck, and he stopped, and he was talking to another guard, and they are like, talking about, like, Whatever movie they watching, so I just climbed the back of the truck, and then I, I'm like, I'll see where this goes. And I like rode into the admin building, and it was like, check, enter the admin building. I'm like, dope, snake solid, our big boss, <laughs> snake, snake solid, snake solid. What do they call him big in boss. this one? No, they call him because well, he's still he's codenamed Snake. No, so. but he was Naked Snake in three, and now Have he's you played called three. No, three is phenomenal. But they call him like. Like, it's, it's something like Sinful Snake. I know that's not what they call him, but they call him, like... Well, it becomes like fucking evil. Fallen Snake or something. Well, potentially he employs, like, child soldiers, and he's pretty fucked up. Did you ever play the original Metal Gear? Um, I watched my stepbrother play it. I've seen every Metal Gear through. I've beaten one, or Metal Gear Solid... I had Twin Snakes for GameCube, and right. I love that. I played it so much. And then I I played MGS3 and MGS4. So you ever played two? No, but I watched Ben beat MGS2 probably 12 times. Like, not even joking. Like I, By the time we finally stopped playing it, I knew every line of that game. Like, Is Metal it, Gear Ray. Metal Gear Solid was such an enigma to me really? for so long. It's just like Final Fantasy, the Final Fantasy games. Like, I never touched any of them except for. One. I watched Ben play those too. So I don't have any. But I know PlayStation. He had a PlayStation, right? So and it was like his PlayStation. Fine, whatever. Fine. Play my Game Boy. My GameCube. I like my GameCube, anyways. Um, but yeah, I've been playing Metal Gear Solid. I beat Ground Zero, so that was cool. Cause I pre-ordered MGS Five. I think I'll get that. I think I'll play that. It looks cool. It looks like a cool open world game. And nothing else than that stupid fucking Folsom system. Well, I like the idea that you're managing your army and you're, like, anything with, like, an ongoing uh, system of, like... The, the AC Brotherhood thing, back again. Yeah, but this one's, like, way more blown out. And then you can attack each other's bases. Like, I can come attack your base. That's their multiplayer component. It's kind of like Dark Souls where you can invade their world. So, um... So, you're... You can't customize your base. You're just going to someone else's outer heaven. No, you can you customize yours. There's mother base. What's it called? It's outer heaven. Okay. Um. See, all this is, none of it makes sense. It does. There's just so many names. Well, it, it, Metal Gear Solid did a lot cinematically that games didn't know they could do. Like. Yeah, but I feel like games have gone so far past that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, no. no. I mean, but even MGS4 was doing stuff that was like. They do stuff that is very impactful through gameplay that I think some people are still catching up on. Um, like, The Last of Us is probably, like, hands down, one of my favorite narrative in games ever, I think, I'd say. It's pretty good. And even then... Gameplay wise, it's not it's not doing anything crazy new. It has a really good gameplay suite, like a really cool set of things. But 
what you do at the end of NGS 4, I should know it's just slamming the button, but they make you do it while you're watching other stuff happen, and you're seeing the character, like, you do feel like you have some input into this, this guy dying. Talking about on the sub? In NGS 4? Yeah. Yeah. Also, I didn't even realize this, the beginning, the, <laughs> the starting moments of MGS 4, when you press start, it's Snake on his knees in a graveyard with a gun in his hand. Oh, it's the end. Right, right, and it fades to black, and when you press start it, you hear a gunshot, which you don't realize the importance of that until you beat the game. That's... Which is kind of like, that's something only can happen in games. So I appreciate stuff like that. Um, and MGS does stuff that is cool um, with, with the gameplay. Yeah, I would like to see stuff move away from, like, how Naughty Dog does it, where it's, like, cutscene and gameplay. And they and they interweave it a bit, like, you know, there are scenes that are cinematic that you still have a small amount of control. But mm. the... It's a lot of walk and talk. Yeah. I think I think it needs to move away from the cutscene stuff, because, I mean, that's just it's just not interactive. Well, I don't like... I get so bummed when I start playing a game and I start not liking the gameplay just because I want to see the next cutscene. I got to that. Even in the last ones, I got to that. I'm like, all right, I want to see the story move forward. I don't. I mean, I know like you're not in, you're not introducing new challenges. You're you're changing the environment, which is kind. Of, I think why I like uh, action RPG or loot games so much because they don't give a sh- most of the time. It's mostly about just the gameplay that that Skinner blocks that loop, you know. And I like that more. Or roguelikes, I like that it's just me learning how to play the game better. Me getting better, you know what I mean? Whereas, like, Uncharted is just you burning through. Well, I like Mass Effect or um, the Telltale games because I think that's the... the, To our current knowledge, that's the best you can get right now to actually still using cutscenes and then having that interactivity. When When you have... Right, but I got to a point in Mass Effect where I was like, don't even give me the shooting parts, I just want to... Did you pick story mode in the... No, I didn't even think about that. I like the shooting parts, but some of their arenas... It's hard. I never see that as a disadvantage, though. Like, I never see, like, it as a bad thing that I want to get through the gameplay to see the next story bit. As long as the gameplay is good enough, then right. your, story's, it, your story's doing a really good job of keeping you interested, which is good, in my mind. I just wish that there was... It's hard to reinvent the wheel in a game over and over to make it interesting. just need shorter games. Yeah. But then you want more when it's done. You can't win. I'm never happy. That's the point. That's true. It, not, not that you're never happy, but the point is, like, if, if the choice is giving you too much and you're being dissatisfied at the end because you had to slog through it versus giving you a smaller amount... And then you wanting, craving more at the end. I mean, you should always pick the latter. Yeah. But then, like, so, I never, I can never beat games like GTA. Like, you never played through the story of it? Or finished it? Mm-mm. I never beat GTA 4, I never beat GTA 5. I beat Red Dead. Because I just loved, I loved playing Red Dead. Just playing Red Dead. I was just, I loved it. But I like playing GTA. I just I can never beat them. I made myself. I, I really like GTA Four, just as a complete pra- package. But it's also the first GTA I ever played. And going to GTA Five, the story did not do it as well. And I know a lot of people point to things like 
you know, the characters being kind of assholes, all of them. And being... I like the DJ5 story. Meh! <laughs> the motivations weren't there, and it wasn't that interesting, and, you know, the best part was when Trevor killed Johnny. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was nuts. He's brutal. That's like the first time you meet Trevor. Yeah. That was pretty good. I don't know. Whereas I feel like, start to finish, Nico's story was pretty good. I like Sleeping Dog's story. I replaced Sleeping Dogs. I beat Sleeping Dogs. I thought Sleeping Dogs was awesome. Um, what do you, did you like Sleeping Dog's story? I mean, because those are kind of two different things because he's a cop, right? Like, did you like it because it was a different kind of take on open world crime game? Oh, it was cool to see an open world game in, like, Hong Kong where, like, it's, you're, you're seeing these families and these triads interact and you're seeing his interaction. I, it was just, it was interesting to watch him get involved. It's the classic undercover cop story. He's getting too involved. He's, he's caring about people he's undercover with. He's going to have to arrest them or he's going to have to, you know, and then it's, it's just a good, pulpy, Hong Kong shoot up story, um, which is cool. You know, I've, the, the heist side of GTA 5 was so much more interesting than GTA 5 itself, I think. And I wish they just made the game where you're building a crew for a big job. Just want the, the Italian job, the movie. You I, want want heat. Ocean, I want Heat, the movie. Ocean's Eleven, the movie. I mean, the game. Yeah, I The movie, be. the game. Um, but, what else did I play this week? A little Rocket League. You got more games you played? I only said two. Three. Just said Rocket League. Okay, well, it's one more than you. Jeez. Um, but that's probably it. Um, you put some news on here. I did. What do you want to talk about? Let me wait for my laptop to load, and then I'll tell you. Mm. Oh, did you hear about this? Hmm. Uh, the developers of this game, Wolf, um, Grin, not the Grin that you th- you're thinking of, a different Grin. Okay, not by any commando. Yeah. Um, filed for bankruptcy. I don't even know what Wolf is. Wolf was a Kickstarter game. It was like a retelling of Little Red Riding Hood. Little Red Riding Hood, and it was a. This article's not loading for me. It was a third-person like action platformer. Okay. Earned seventy-two thousand. Okay. And it's Kickstarter. Okay. And then, and then they released it on Steam. Oh, I got released. Yeah, like it's out. You can okay, still buy okay, it. Okay, okay. But it didn't make enough money to continue to, you know, run Grin. So they had to. Was Grin a team, team or was it a one guy shop? No, it was a team. Let me see if it lists how many people. Six people. So two artists, two programmers, a writer, and myself. And. Well, 70,000 Grin isn't going to go very far with that many people. Sure. Um. It's like, but I think the assumption was that it was going to sell sell more. Oh, I would always do a Kickstarter with the entire development cost, so that any post release sales is just icing on the cake. I'm sure they would have liked to have done that. Well, then they should have done it that way. 
But, you know, the reality of Kickstarter is that you, you're never going to make as much money as you think you could. So what what's the... What do you, what do you say you think that... So they were talking about Wim Wouters is the CEO of Grin, and he was basically the one that kind of wrote this blog post talking about them filing for bankruptcy and what he thought were the issues that caused it to falter. One of the things he seemed to point out to was the fact that they developed the game in 3D because... He said they wanted to make a quote-unquote bigger indie game. Mm-hmm. And that probably caused a longer development time, you know, higher costs. Different pipeline. Yeah. And, ev- and eventually it just didn't... It didn't earn back their investment. Okay. That so we were talking earlier this week about a 3D versus 2D project, and we were talking about what it would look like to do a 3D project right. What do you think of doing a 3D project? It would have to be even smaller in scale to a 2D project. Because just the asset creation would just oh, take so much longer. Yeah, you would probably also but, need a, a bigger staff. What if you did uh, with three D assets, kind of like something like uh, Super Hot or like a Grow Home, or like Proteus? Yeah, where it's super polygonal. Cause I think those games look great. Yeah, and I agree. You just have to. Those styles are always going to talk to a certain like that mm-hmm. aesthetic is for a certain tone of game. So you're right. going to be limited in tone, but I mean you're going to or you're going to be limited to certain genres, but you'd also be limited to sh- certain genres because you want to keep your gameplay paired. But I think there's this assumption that when you move from 2D to 3D that your kind of gameplay suite expands. Yeah. So I think that's true. I don't think with the size we are right now being two people, mm-hmm. there are many advantages to moving to 3D. I would like to move to 3D. But unless you made a rule set, I think you can make a racing game in 3D. Now, your asset development, but just to make the, the general like rules, you would get more out of a 3D. You get more mileage out of a 3D racing game than you would a 2D. I think we put more work into nightlife than we would into a 3D racing game if we wanted to make one track. Are we talking like... I'm saying in general. Like, just net, like, the amount that we put into nightlife versus if we were to make a two-track racing game. But what I'm asking is, like, with what level of polish? Assuming you did 3D assets that were, like, the polygonal ones I was talking about and not, like, super finished or, like, not not finished, but, like, super high-res um, textured things, then, yeah, I mean, I think you'd get more gameplay out of it for the same time investment, which is not always a important thing. Right, you're not arguing that, you know... But like, let's say we did the the, the, the robot game, the, the, the mod, like, the training game. Whatever it was. I think you could do that with 2D or 3D assets, assuming you how strict your art style was, but robots are very... If you were to do like a cubic style art style, where it's it's very flat and very shape-oriented, I think that your 3D asset pipeline wouldn't be that much crazier than a um, 2D one. And then... There's just new knowledge that you have to, you know, you have to consider true. the learning curve. And you would learn how to... You have to do character rigs and Unity and that kind of thing, but that could also save you time, because now instead of sprite sheets for everything... You're pulling in actual... I don't even know how 3D animation would work. I think it works kind of similarly. Really? Because you can, like, save animations and mm-hmm. then queue them up in the same way you do with the spread sheets. Hmm. Well... I've never looked into it, but that's my assumption. Of course, you could do it all externally, too, I believe, and just pull it in. Have it be, like, real-time? Not real-time, but you could have it... There would be some sort of animator, external animator, that has that all set up, and you just plug in mm-hmm. the um, activations. When you could do things like rendered backgrounds that were still 3D, but you bake them all in. 
and then add stuff like real time lighting and stuff into it to give it a more realistic feeling. Well, that's you know? another thing I have to learn. You have to learn about lighting. You have to learn about things. But Unity like has a built in light suite. Yeah, but I haven't. Mm-hmm. No, I got you. Wrap my head around it. Yeah, I mean, I can see why 3D would be brutal because it doesn't require. I mean, I can, like, that's just a screenshot. I mean, that's like. Oh, wow. Yeah, so. They're they, super detailed. And this from six people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Just the. I like looking. You know, it's important to look at the successes by, like, looking at the failures because I feel like you'll learn more from them. And, well, they're, and they're more honest sometimes with, you know, how they did. As long as they're understanding that, like, they failed because of something they did and not, like, market forces forced them to fail, I love, I think the Porsche Modems are the best. And then your, your point's right, though, is, like, the teams that are small almost always are 2D games. And it also talks about skill levels. So if you're taking a bunch of industry veterans... Right, and you that throw have like six of them together. Yeah. You're gonna get more mileage out of them, right? Which is something that a lot of industries don't realize the value of like experience in development. Just because, even with code, like well done code, like pays off. Just attention to detail, timeline, debugging, release, post release, like it's just better. But I was thinking like the most of the successes of like small studios are smaller 2D games. One that pops in mind is like Bastion. I feel like Bastion's like a good balance between 2D and 3D. Right. How big is this, how big is Supergiant? I don't know. They're pretty they're bigger though, I think. It's got it can't be any more than a dozen people. Really? Yeah. Cuz they like have profiles for it. Have you seen the video of the heat signature game? I love that art style. It's all vector based. Is that from the Gunpoint guy? Yeah. And this first game was pixel art. But I mean, obviously you can't compare Supergiant to Grin because Supergiant has Warner Brothers backing him. And yeah, Grin, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Grin right. was working off of some Kickstarter funding and whatever else they could pull together. But yeah, it's interesting. And and I, I was looking at the um, the comments of that Polygon article talking about the Wolf game, and they immediately jumped to, well, obviously you're not a very good business person. Mm. And I was like, there might be a little bit of truth to that, mm-hmm. but like anything, it's easier to say than do. Well, but one of the big problems that I have with that is that you said wolf and I said what and it's that's that's but okay so let me be more specific they said business but they meant marketing right and like that is you can get a lot of mileage on them I mean it's it's a, it's approaching the right channels and they had the press like they people talked about that game they didn't capitalize on it they didn't do what that one video I sent you of the one guy um where he's like, you have to be an entrepreneur. That guy, remember him? That we uh, talked like, about earlier. Yeah, and it's it's so noisy. Like, there's so much noise. But because... And people like to hide behind that. Like, it's an excuse. But I think that with all the noise, that just means there's so many more people out there that you can get your product to. Well, I was talking to Alex and Kirby about this. Like, you know, how people like to complain, oh, Steam's flooded, there's all these games, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no one goes on Amazon or on the Kindle store and says, there's too many books. Right, and my boss at my old, when I worked at Tenderfoot Games, he's now an Amazon Prime bestseller. He writes these sci-fi novels. Um, so he's, it's a very specific genre he's a bestseller in, sci-fi, military. Right, you gotta find a niche. But apparently he's killing it. Well, I learned, I have this book. Um, it's not about games. It was, it's um, how to make web comics. When I would follow like cartoonists, they like to talk about business more than like to talk about art, and I always thought that was fascinating. And... They always talked about finding your niche, mm-hmm. and then also find your super fans. Right. And you know, and then there's always there's always a debate over whether or not you want to classify people that enjoy your stuff as fans. 
If you can develop a following, though, you can do a lot with that. Right. So, like, you know, it's like the idea with free-to-play games and people wanting to find their whales and find right. people who are going to spend the most money. It's like you want to find your champions of your product. Right. And I think that with the internet, there's so many more people out there it, we're, around the world. You can reach anyone. Like, it's it's so easy to think within your... In school, they always tell you, you can't sell your product to yourself because everyone's not everyone's going to be an 18 to 24 year old male or an eight whatever woman or a college age student or a college educated you have to think about why what you're bringing to the table is relevant to or if it could be relevant to someone who's like 55 in china or 40 single parent that needs something for their kid like it's it's just approaching it from every angle and you literally just test and iterate test and iterate test and iterate and eventually Something something will catch on, or you just ditch that idea because you've done it for so long. Now the product's not, the market has decided it's not going to go, um, you know. And, and then you, you just you just go from there. But even then, I, I think that if people can sell really shitty stuff, it's just a matter of, of how much how much of your development time are you willing to invest in doing that. Well, so tell me, so I. Because you have more of a background in marketing than I do, and it it's always interesting watching entrepreneurship students being asked about marketing. It's like, okay, what's your marketing plan? What's your marketing strategy? And someone will just be like, Facebook? Or, you know, make a Facebook profile and Twitter and blah, 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 blah. And so, but... So say you worked at Grin. Say you were, you know, you were contracted at Grin to mm-hmm. like push, make a marketing push, mm-hmm. like during or immediately after their uh, Kickstarter. What would what would be? Well, I would have done it before the Kickstarter started. Okay, so just in general, from like the plan of when they started on the game to to hitting the game's release, what specifically would you have done? What channels would you have hit? Do you think? So there's a massive YouTube Let's Play community, right? I would essentially itemize them into a spreadsheet of like, these are the ones that we can't reach. These are the ones that get millions of views. They're, everyone's hitting them up. These are the mid-sized ones that we can reach in a few months if we can gain traction. These are all the ones that are getting like 50 to 100 views a video that if I send them something, they're going to play it because they're going to be so excited. And I would just keep giving it to them. Keep giving it to them. And like, regardless of any response, I would just over the months, and I would follow up, I would follow up. So that would be my first getting it out into the wild, right? And finding who it sticks with them. So my question to that is, you would send them prototypes? Yes. Like, even unpolished? Like- yeah, fuck it. No, and I would I would do a, a, I would play it, and I would send them a video of me playing it. And I would talk with them, and if they wanted an interview, I would get, I would get you in front of them. I would get one of the developers in front of them. If they want to talk to anyone. Because basically, when you're a small presence... You can either buy your way up, you know, you can buy media that can give you some presence, but it's not going to do a whole lot. Like, and what do you mean by, like, AdWords? Are you just, trying to... I'm not even AdWords, but, like, doing, like, if like, you could buy for a more niche podcast and stuff, getting your name out there, you know, doing things that people would actually... I think display ads are tricky. I don't think a lot of people would buy a game off a display ad. I think that a game is... Even the smallest of game you always do research for, and it's a knowledge investment, so you want to hear people... That you trust talk about it, just like I mean, even the giant bomb ad reads, I would probably consider more, just arbitrarily. 
well, for yeah, association. Well, speaking to that point, Penny Arcade always talked about how they, if anyone ever asked to, to advertise on their site, they would say, well, give us a demo. And it's a great sales pitch because Penny Arcade is now cranking, because now you trust it. Which, of course you do. It's fine. It's not, it's not malicious. It's just effective. You know what I mean? And the big thing is, is that... The other thing is, is developing your own presence and being consistent. Kind of like we're doing now. But, I mean, basically, if we started this new project, I would take on the role of just... As soon as we have stuff to put up, it would be up. We would not do what we were going to do with Laboratage and wait for a demo. There's no point. Because... And okay, so this is, what got, this is what I learned. This is the lesson I want to tell you about from, the, from class the other day. We do this rapid prototyping thing, right? Mm-hmm. They're teaching rapid prototyping. The professor brings in this bag of dodgeballs. Oh, God. Right, 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 yeah. So the he's like, no one likes picking dodgeballs up after a dodgeball game. You need to create a tool that can pick dodgeballs up. There would be three prizes. Best design, arbitrary, to his on. Can pick up the most at once. Can pick it up all of them at the fastest. You have 60 seconds no matter what. So, and we work in sprints, which is any... Any field will work in sprints. That's, like, normal. Um, right. And because, like, you know, the traditional work was, like, waterfall design development, and then it turned into... Do you know that? you know what that is? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, then, and then now it's moved to uh, agile. And then, like, the extreme version of that is extreme programming. Right. Which is just daily sprint iteration. It, and there's a reason... So, anyway, we... Um, he puts them out there, and he's like, go. So everyone sits and talks. And we're all thinking about what we're going to design, how we want to tackle it. We finished the first sprint. He's like, all right, bring your designs up. Not a single person went up and actually held the ball and, like, tried to get their control. Like, didn't even, like, look at the product, didn't even look at the space. Everyone was so focused on making the thing that no one tried testing it. Testing it. And our group, our first one, have sucked. It was so bad because we, 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 we didn't know what we were getting into. We didn't know how the balls would bounce up into the thing. So we kept iterating. And we would ditch our design every time. So finally, after like, we did like five or six sprints. You know, you'd go back, you'd test it, and then there would be a, there was a mid-level run, so you'd win. The one that won was awesome. It was basically a, um, like those car, a cup holders, they hold cups at like a 7-Eleven. Okay. That has like the prongs on the inside. So basically it was a big box, and it was pronged, like forked in the middle, and you would just, poof, poof, like take it from the ground, just press it on top. Oh, the ball I got it. Okay. And they did one on each side, so we could flip like a dice. So it's pretty smart, right? Really good. Ours, finally, we took two long rods, made a big tarp of trash bags, and I just went, whoop. So we won the um, most at once. But, like, if we were to make this robot game, we would need, as soon as we have anything, to start showing it to people. Because the, the, the biggest thing that we're not going to see is the obvious flaws that we're too close to. And I think you saw that a lot with in La Partage, where people had issues because you would move through to someone and we didn't design it to move that way, right? Or we didn't design it so that you could do... We had this flow that we thought was right. But that, it doesn't always work. And that's the problem with, you know, interactivity is that they're always going to do what you don't expect. And it's... And I mean, it happened the second you tested Nightlife and it happened... It's not like regular programming where in regular programming, you know there's a single um, flow of information. Yeah. Unless, you know, unless you have loops um or unless you have like if else statements you know it's going to go one direction or you're calling you're making method calls it's going to go one direction Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. understand the flow of control Mm -hmm. in gaming 
you have an object and you say, or like you look at the start screen, it's like, okay, I need the character to go right because the when they go right at the end of this like start screen, they hit this point and it starts the actual game. And then you have to say, well, what if they don't go right? Right. Well, I have to stop them in every other possible way. They don't. They they don't go right. Mm-hmm. Which is simple for a two D platformer or just side scroller because it's just okay. Well, the only other way they could go is left. So I just have to block them from going left. But the other thing is that what happens when a player keeps moving the keys and they can't figure out why they're going one direction? Right. Like the way I had it set up automatically. Right. right. Well, my assumption, and it might be incorrect, but my assumption is always that they pick up on it. Well, they're just going to, because sometimes games do that without me picking up on it. Right, where they you assume that you're moving. So you're just automatically just switching left and right, going mm-hmm. up the ramp, but it's it's not listening commands, it's just knowing that there's an input. But even that's the kind of thing that we could put in front of someone, a few people, and just be like, what? Just play. And like when I worked when I was at Tenderfoot Games, the first thing I did when I came in, they just had me play it for an hour. And there was not an hour of game there, there was like seven minutes of game. <laughs> But they literally, I sat there and played, and he just took notes. He's like, just keep talking to me, keep talking to me. And the same, you do the same thing in, in user experience design, where you, you pull up a website or a software suite, and you're like, go. And one thing that we did is we would take the Apple, I mean the Mac, spin it around so that the, the camera was facing their hands, mm-hmm. and I would just film someone using the iPad or going to the software, and then I would watch that, just to see, like, what are they trying to press? What are they trying to do? So I think that... It was a good lesson, but I think a lot of playtesting up front goes a long way. And then, back to the marketing thing, you can integrate that in your marketing because you can find out a lot of what's wrong early on. Because I think that people are, especially right now, more than ever interested in how you're making something as well. I mean, you know, and the people that are going to really be your biggest supporters are going to be interested in that process. Yeah, and like, probably want to, perhaps would want to be involved, which is also exciting. Like, that's cool. Um, which is why you know early access exists right and there's a huge market for it apparently um, so again it's so easy to want to get caught up in the, the, the big players or something you know but I, I just think that the internet allows you to have and I've been saying this for years that the internet as long as your overhead is low enough if you find enough small supporters in corners of the world you can sustain something interesting until it can catch enough steam to become bigger. Um, and I think you see giant bombings coming that way, where their premium membership stuff is actually becoming more and more part of their service. Um, to my cheap-ass ch- chagrin. Well, I mean, I, I've i been paying for it now. And at first, it was kind of lame, but now I think it's totally worth it. Because I watch more giant bomb content than I do television, probably. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I think you're going to see more people being willing to pay for that kind of thing. And I think that the, the poll thing that, that we're talking about is, is a step in that direction, but I think also it's getting the product out. Right. Which I, I think like the first step in like that polling system that we want to use is just basic, 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 basic prototype. Like not even any sort of narrative hook. Like, so if it's the robot game. Oh, I think it's the fucking squares that are, we're yeah. just, we got to think of a system, and, and well, we could design it piecemeal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, all right, this is how you build this is what Yeah, this is what we think the gameplay should be for this aspect of it. Yeah. Right. And then it's just an arena. Well, and then you and I can work in, in that kind of methodology, too, where it's like, we want, by the end of October, to have 
a purely programmer art thing in place that we can get up in front of people. And then, you know, if there's any response, even from our friends, like it doesn't have to be like, if we just show it to the game jam community, RVA, and there's like some tepid response or positive response, we can move forward. Right? Because we know... If there's any response. Oh, shit. Like, this shit sucks. Okay. Move no! Forward. Because nine times out of ten, like when you're pitching concepts and that kind of thing, you know, what, what I do, you go in and 49 of your ideas get shot down. But there's the one that, that's, that, that the whole room is like, that's pretty interesting. That's what you build on. Then you go from that and then you and then you start thinking of, all right, how, what does this look like here? What does this look like here? What does it look like there? You do the same thing. So for nightlife, one thing that you and I only have to do is that we need to figure out if we're going to sell it. Not around, but if we were to, we, um, or if we want to, um, we got to figure out what is like, what is interesting about nightlife? Fundamentally interesting. Because we need to think of that, that almost like fundamental human truth about the game you know galaxy is interesting because it's a roguelike in space or uh last of us interesting because it's a, a post-apocalyptic narrative experience with production values like nothing else you know it's it's those are like the really obvious ones um fez is interesting in part because phil fish is such a a, a character and i think he sold a lot because of being him being a character and also indie game the movie indie game the movie um but we gotta think of something that we can you know you gotta you gotta identify with the product before you engage with it. I guess um, that's Wolf, but that was the pro. The pro thing I said I thought at first was really dumb, and then like it it really really spoke to me. Like it's so obvious how important testing. Is. And he was like, you don't wait while you're in school here to test after the campaign's been built because no one's gonna ask you to test stuff. If you present a software suite and it's not built out, no one's gonna know. But it's in your interest as a student here to actually test your stuff out because when you get out of school, you're that much more attractive as a candidate. Because not only are you building stuff that looks and works well, you're building stuff that you know works well. And you have, uh, it's a lot of research. And you have marketing data. Right. To... So, you know. So, what you writing? Uh, I had an idea. But that's my job. Well, and I also think it was really interesting to what um, Justin one of the guys at the VCU Venture Group who kind of gave us some feedback said, mm -hmm. like, the, the very first stage of, like, that polling system on the website isn't even a prototype. It's just the idea. <laughs> maybe some concept art. Maybe some... Or just the idea. Right. You just say that. Does this sound like a good idea? Right. Is it something you're interested in? And, or you can, and then if you have a project, you start pitching mechanics that way, too. Like, would you... Because basically, you and I have X amount of human capital we can provide towards a thing... It would help to keep that ball rolling. So I think, you know, when we wrap Nightlife, you and I figure out what we liked about that, what we didn't like about that, and then we, we hit the ground running. And I think all that feedback should go on the website. Like, I think there should be, like, a reflection. And I kind of want to do, I kind of want to go back and do this for La Partage and Peak, but speak to, like, this was a pro like, not a problem, but this was, like, this was a gameplay aspect. How did I solve it? Because, mm -hmm. like, I thought that thing was super interesting, the camera rotation for La Partage. That was the coolest part. And I was like, well, yeah, and that's what everyone, like, reacted to when the camera, when the scene rotated. They were all like, 
Um, well, it took. It's only been done a few times. Right, and like I was able, like it's like basic geometry. But I want to put the like. All right, this is the equation I use. This is what I found. It's just like I had to find points on art, and like, like I want to explain that because people also get there's that gap between I want to do it and how do I do it? How do you get in front of people, or how do you? Oh, no, I'm saying if like someone problem, else, problem. if someone else wants to solve that, because you've already solved the problem, yeah, you want to get it out there. I think that's and like if you're not the most technically minded and you still want to make something. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest roadblock, just mentally. Just right. like, I don't know how to answer any of these questions. But the second you understand how to use Stack Exchange, yeah. and how to Google stuff. Stack Exchange is the best thing in the whole wide and, world. And how, to, um, and how to look at like code documentation mm-hmm. for whatever language or IDE you're using. Everything becomes way simpler. You just say, I have this problem. How do I solve this problem? You go to Google. Like I had this the other day. I had an array... I needed to make the sandwich spawn for nightlife. Mm-hmm. So after you hit all the ingredients, how do I make the sandwich spawn? It was like, okay, I'll make an array, a Boolean array that's all false values. And then as when they're we, all true, 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 it right. sandwich. But I just wanted a single line that said, if these are all true, hit it. But then I thought, well, how do I check if they're all true? Yeah. And, I mean, thinking about it now, I, I already know another way to solve it. I could have made a function that just iterate just made a for loop that right. checked if each one was true and if they were all true then you return true and well, then if it's not true it keeps checking again and again and over and over or no or return false and then but, like, or, or you could do it well I only know in like PHP but you can have it the last so it's basically it's going through so what it's doing specifically is that every time one of the ingredients is activated mm-hmm. it checks this script it says if this is the last one to be opened spawn the sandwich if not then ignore this and then I go to the next ingredient and then it checks it again and then it goes to the next one until they're all open but it keeps checking the same to the same loop so it's like sandwich I mean it says mayo true yeah. and it'll keep coming back to uh, mayo false and keep back to mayo until it's true well it's not because I've done that where you make dynamic stuff appear where it'll go yeah, back yeah but what I'm saying is, is it's not it's not iterating every frame it's only calling that when I hit an ingredient oh right I'm not used to that part of that yeah so say you had a really complex game that so is that script tied to the food objects? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. I understand that. Um, but so say you had Ooh, a really complex cool. game. If you coded it the way you were talking about, where it's calling it every frame, that's going to slow the game down. Oh, no, no, no. no. I was thinking of like in relation to like the DOM, but that makes more sense. Cool. So I think that I think we have some good ideas for how we want to approach our next project. But I also think that we are very – I like that we're excited about this next project – but I want to. I think we need to finish Nightlife before we dig into it. Oh, I agree. Um, not that I, I don't think that you don't think that. I just think more that, you know, the hardest part of finishing any product is that last ten percent. Yeah. Um. So, the did we want to talk about that game idea more? Like describe it. Um. More con- concrete term. Oh, you you just said let's not dig into it. Well, I mean, we can talk about kind of. I think that we are both. I think there's a lot of mileage we can get. I think. Mm, we were talking about training mechanics and coaching mechanics the other day. Games where you are building something up that's not yourself. Either a team like Pokemon or a, a, a monster like in Monster Rancher or your gens in Golden Sun. Did you train those up? Is that that no. Basically, that's just another... They're like gems, basically. Oh, okay. They change your stats and they change your class. Okay. So, um, think about other games where you like... Or even like the Chows in Sonic. Yeah, you just Dragon War. And well, the, 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 the part that spawned it... Well, I've always wanted to make a Pokemon-like game. Because there are aspects, because, I mean, we grew up with it, so we're kind of oh, for sure. attached to it. But there's the aspect of 
being a child but still being entrusted with something you're responsible for but like and then it just blows out of proportion where your beginning ones you know you're fighting team rocket and you know protecting pokemon but then like in fucking ruby and sapphire or diamond and pearl you're fucking saving the world from an apocalypse that's being but even at the t pinnacle where you're saving the world you're still a child yeah and and and, and everyone will still come back and say it's all about you and your friendship and that's and that's interesting to me so like i i always had that interesting um thing about kids being attached to something whether it's you know pokemon pokemon cards or you know whatever you know pogs you know whatever thing like you know you take it to this the schoolyard and you, you play with other people well, and i like the like, idea of having arbitrary attachments that's not real yeah i think that's interesting so like, everything else would be real except for you know these tiny robots like, no, no, I saying? think that the narrative side of it, I, I think that you're, you're spot on, or like the, the, the logic behind it, but I also like the idea of having a connection with something that's not real. Oh, I guess you're Like, saying. I like the idea of, like, I'm invested in this Pokemon team, either statistically, or I'm, I have an investment in... It's like having a teddy bear or something to that effect. Well, and, and more so in games like Nintendogs, or, you know, where you, 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 you start caring about something that's not real, and you don't know how to express it until you meet someone else has done it and you feel a sense of at least ownership or responsibility or pride. Um, and like, it catches on too. Like Neopets was huge. Nintendogs was huge. Pokemon's huge. They're dumb! My Jub Jub is starving. Yeah, everyone's fucking <laughs> Flop gotta, Sam is starving. Gotta, gotta take him to the soup kitchen. But I think that it's a mechanic and I want to see someone do, you know, I spend a lot of time instructing and... You know, I've, I, I've done teaching, right? I've done, I was going to be a teacher, teacher, and I backed out. <laughs> um, Coward! I've done a lot in that space where it's insanely rewarding, and I haven't seen someone do it in a gameplay manner that's not menu-driven or, you know what I mean? There's a lot of cool challenges there that I think it's a space that's not... Like, a lot of times it was cool, but it's, it's, it's doing narrative-based dialogue choices. Like, it's it's been, you know... And Nightlife is cool, but I don't think we've done anything where we've, like... This is our take on a genre that we can do something different in. And I think we also... We're just waiting for Nintendo to fucking wake up... And, and make the Pokemon that we and, want. And make the 3D polygonal Pokemon that, like, Pokemon tur Tournament is, like, three-fifths of the way there. <laughs> and it's just, like... Just, just do it already! I think I think that we both have a strong habit to Pokemon too, where we can sit and think of all the things that we want Pokemon to be, and that list, paring that down to something like concrete, would probably be pretty interesting and something that we could achieve. You know what I mean? Especially if we start out small, and think about our variables as, as very strict at first, and then expand out once we have a system in place to make them interact. Whatever that is, whether it's combat, whether it's like racing, or whatever it could be. You know what I mean? It's a mechanic that I think is within our wheelhouse because you're not actively involved in it. How do you mean? Like, you're not... Well, if you look at Pokemon, right? You know, if we wanted to, we could probably sit and make a turn-based battle system. Do you know what I'm saying? Where it's not like Pikachu's running... Well, I want, I want that, too. I think that... Because this is how I imagined it, like, from, from the gameplay perspective of, like, the fighting. So, like, what we're basically talking about is that Mason keeps... No, 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 tell anyone! It has to happen, man. It has to happen. 
Okay, it's done. It's done. It's done. He's just doing something gross. It's not that gross. Okay, it's not it's that normal. gross, but it's just it's it's it. Uh, I was doing my nails on the bottom of your foot. Mm-hmm. So, what I imagined is like so you have the stereotypical like Pokemon like arena where they fucking paint the white lines on the goddamn space. Yeah, yeah, yeah piece yeah. of rock, and then that's your play area. Right. And then there could be terrain and whatever. But like I thought, I I thought of it as like being actual like three D like. Whatever goes in there, it goes. And so, like, you know, whatever your character has, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. has the full suite mm-hmm. of fighting and, I got and, it. and stuff. And then, and yeah, so that's why I thought of it as, just like that aspect. Now, would you be directly controlling the character, or would they be running through things that they know, and then you give them instruction? No, you're directly controlling it. Uh, that's why I imagined it as. So it'd be like Custom Robo. Yeah. Okay. But, like, with more acrobatics, I think, and more... I, I've only played Custom Robo, like, two times, and that was on a demo station. No, uh, well, Custom Robo had a lot, a lot of the... There's a vertical element in Custom Robo. See, I was thinking more that it'd be, like, the Pokemon TV show where... The trainer is calling out. You had certain things, plays, essentially, you can call, mm-hmm. and then it performs them. Um, but you have to react to what their asset is doing... But also what the player, your rival, would be calling out against you. So it's more of the strategy side of this is ha- There's two levels. There's the, 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 I have certain plays I can call in response to what they're bringing. And their default behavior based on their training. So like if you trained a, a robot to, to be very aggressive and, and, and relentless and push, you know, at the sacrifice of it leaves itself open to attack a lot or if you were to like use a, a skill that would essentially it, it would be a game where you would make the skills like Harden and Sandstorm more interesting to use because they have fundamental implications on the actual real time because Harden would be like a block and right or you know if you have so if you train and then you would train them you could give them behaviors that you have to commit to that kind of behavior like if you train your robot to be very patient you're never going to get that first strike in but you might get an opening where you could then call one of your plays and play against I don't know I also have always wanted a real time Pokemon game yeah I mean that's why going. that's why I wanted yeah like, that's why and I understand like, but I think that's been done that's the only thing yes and if it's with robots it's, that's literally custom robo yeah but custom robo it's virtual okay I mean I mean I, we can talk about it more at any time. Because, I mean, because, like I said, I've played very little of Custom Robo, but there's more of Pokemon than just the combat. There is the exploration aspect of it. Custom Robo has that, too. Okay. That's it what... has an actual overworld, just like Pokemon. Okay. Well, then, fuck this idea. It's already been I done. guess so. But if you did it, if you took a different play on the mechanics of it, I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, but would that be fun? Uh, I think it'd be fun the same way that, um, like, a real-time strategy is fun. It'd be like a really condensed real-time strategy, or like a MOBA. Okay. Where you're 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 planning and executing. You have you have your hot bar. I don't even know. Oh. What, yeah, I guess you'd have like a, some skills, some active skills. Yeah, and just your face buttons. Um, but you're not controlling the movement or anything like that. Or maybe you can do certain things like, you can tell them to press forward or retreat or, I have no idea. Or if you did, you want to do a cousin robot style game, you just can't be robots. But I mean, I'm not, you know. I'm not sold on anything there. But I like the idea, but the problem is, is that if you were to do the real-time fighting, 
would you envision that in 2D or 3D? Well, that's what I was asking. That's because if you want to have reality, right? When we approached the problem before, I was assuming it was going to be full control, real time, and that's why I asked you mm. 2D or 3D because obviously 3D would be a, a lot other... more. But like actually. 3D would also be a lot of work from the aspect that you're pitching because it's just more AI work. Oh, yeah. yeah you you would have to have, like... Pretty robust. Yeah. At like least... You start small and build out. Yeah. Robustly AI. imperfect AI. Right. Which, so I'm taking AI this semester, and that's going to be interesting because gaming is, like, the only field where you are purposely making, making the AI... AI not as efficient as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So... I'm curious how much of that knowledge I'll have to bastardize. Well, but I think it's still important to learn, like, yeah. reaction loops and, like, iterative learning. A-star. A learn my A-star mm -hmm. method. Just a bunch of if-then statements. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Um, no, like I said, the, it's all about linked lists, the, too. Because you can do a really cool 2D top-down system, you know what I mean, where you have, essentially, you could make a really interesting combat system. That you would be in control of, and it would be dictated by your training, and then you travel around the world and fight your thing. But it'd have to be a top-down 2D, or you and I probably wouldn't be able to get it out in a realistic timeline. So, what would that look like then? Would that be like... I mean, it'd be like, kind of similar to like that Nuclear Throne game. Okay. You know what I mean? Where it's like, or you do like a 2D brawler system, where it's top-down, and you have certain skills that move... I don't know. You would have different. You'd have combatants that have like range skills and up close skills and dash skills and teleport skills. There's a lot of cool stuff you could do. Um, but it's just a matter of what that uh, feels like, looks like, it smells like. I mean, smells not a very big game mechanic, but we can always make one. Bringing smell of vision back. Um. And like I said, we can come back to that too. I think that we both need to think about what we want to do in that. I do. I like the idea of I want to make a game where you train stuff up. But that as like an execution. But I think that'd be cool. And I think we both have a lot of experience and what we like and don't like about that. But I think we have to figure out a, a what that what that would look like. Yeah. Um. Because also making an action-oriented game would be cool, just because I think we made it pretty passive. So, I mean, that one Luminari that I went to like a day for, mm -hmm. I made a combat game. I don't know if I ever showed you that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you did actually. No, you did. Did I? Mm -hmm. um, Squares whacking each other with sticks. It's good. It's always good. Speaking of Luminari, what do you want? What do you want to get out of this Luminari? Did we talk about this last time? A little bit. We just... We're not talking about long, but, like, what do you want to get out of... Wait, number 33. This is our third Lundari. Oh, why? Oh, okay. Well, that's number... Okay, three. well, that works, too. Um, I think my goal, like, our other goal is to have something to show that's pretty polished at the end. And making something that's small enough in scope that we can kind of execute it and it can look like what it looked like in our heads. Do we know whether or not Kirby is going to be joining us, like, concretely? I mean, he's going to be there. Oh. He'll be there. But he, we don't. He might. He wants to be on our team. I just didn't... Oh, no, I'm cool with... Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Okay. After meeting him, he's cool. I figured once you met him, but I just never outright... What? I mean, I, 
I'm sure you guys probably talk about it for a little bit too. Yeah, no, he's a very articulate. He's, he's a cool guy. guy. What? Um. Do you know like what he's good at? Uh, game design, I guess. I don't know. But I'm sure he's got Photoshop. I mean, you could, you could, I don't think Lundar is about what you're good at. I think it's just having bodies. Let's figure out what you need and, and getting it done and keeping keeping stuff moving forward. That's the other thing is that I don't want to get. I feel like we're under a lot of issues where we get hung up on one end or the other end. And I want to keep moving stuff through. Well, I think it's important. Um, and I talked about this before, but I think like the entire thing in an unpolished state should be done on Saturday. I agree. I agree. Yeah, but like, but I mean like everything. Like we should have. They don't have to be final sounds, but there should be just something. Oh, yeah, that yeah, activates yeah. it, everything. Mm-hmm. Well, just so that you know that all the programming for sound is kicking off and firing off and the menus are firing off and that kind of thing. Yeah. And then basically you go in and you add final versions. But it's really easy to find. Right. And I'm saying, like, if that, if, like, all, like, if all the programming's done, like, mm-hmm. that's, that shaves off so much time for Sunday. And that's not going to happen. I just know it's not going to happen because no. it always, always flows over. Um... But, yeah, uh, I was thinking of something else for what I wanted us to work on. Oh, I just got to a point today where I was just kind of like, I was working on Nightlife, and I was just kind of like, I'm done working on, like, going to Photoshop and then coming back here and then going back to Photoshop and blah, 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 blah. Like, I just, uh, want want us and I know we're gonna do this but I just want us all to donate yeah yeah I hate working in Photoshop (laughs) I hate I wish we could find a better development suite for animation and it's like PSDs you can drop PSDs in but Mm -hmm. I'm always I don't know maybe we should just drop PSDs in this time because I've always we should look up a couple of ways to figure out I wouldn't mind doing some vector based stuff through like Illustrator yeah that's fine and then just doing a bunch of like repeaters and stuff like if you had like a smoke effect just be like a bunch of black and gray circles yeah just because it'd be something different I don't know what that would look like sprite sheet wise I don't know what that would look like you could just have it spawn single circles no no I mean but I don't know what like an ana- like a character animation would look like that of a sprite I mean you do the same thing with a sprite sheet but I don't know how you'd animate well I guess you could just actually make them all points and then you'd move the points It'd probably be easier. You can do that in Unity. Unity has that built in. Right. Where instead of importing a sprite sheet, you import the legs, arms, and stuff, and you do and that. It, it can articulate it. I wonder how hard that is. I don't think it is very hard. It's just depending on how. Because that would be cool too. Yeah, it just depends on you know mm-hmm. how good it'll look. Because I've done it where you do the um, you make a character and you essentially make the. Uh, you do the lens in separate layers, and the you know what I mean. Because I've had to do it for not a care, not an actual model, but like doing a um a essentially it had to be a video graphic of a building that would then blow out to show you everything inside of it, and then it would shrink back in. Oh, so you just had a bunch of layers that would mm-hmm. yeah. This is like when you export the image, it's all one layer, and they don't even have to be attached in any way. But you just select them, and then you drag them together, and then you articulate them. Really? Yeah. And then okay. you you record the articulation. 
Well, you can do that natively now in a lot of Adobe stuff too, where you can record animations and it'll export out whatever the dot animation file is too. It's kind of cool. Um, but also pixel art is easy to lean on because it's pretty straightforward, I think. Did you ever look at the DuckTales remastered mm -hmm. game? Mm -hmm. I really like that look. Just like it doesn't like. I know the backgrounds are 3D in that game, but I'm speaking about just, like, having the character kind of be, have a different aesthetic than the rest of the scene, so that they're easy to pick out. And I also like that animated look that the character has. Yeah. It's like, from the DuckTales cartoon show. Oh, I like that a lot, too. I think it looks like, um... Just that's hard. Yeah, that's really hard. But yeah, I think that we want to have the most polished thing, and we need to figure out a way to kind of. Oh, like we talked about doing the mood board again. I think that's really good. Kind of setting a tone up first, and then kind of going through it, just so that we're not working in a vacuum. Because the other thing is, a lot of times your your head's down working. You know what I mean? You don't want to get. You don't want to distract someone else because then you're just talking. I don't know. That's, I guess I'm not tricky. And the thing is, I would like to take advantage because I have a better understanding of, say, like, procedural generation or something yeah. like that. So we can expand the gameplay loop mm -hmm. to a larger scale very easily. What if you make a game where, like, it's like an oncoming onslaught of something or like if you're doing something like that you know where it's just yeah if you did like a horde mode or something right it'd be very easy to just have it spawn more in the loop the arc's really obvious it ends when you end there's no there's no need and if you have like a cool enough premise you can make that a cool premise or like you had to run from a horde kind of like that one game that that guy made where you're on the island you had to run from the sheep and they kept bringing in more boats of pigs or whatever <laughs> the one where you play this is dodo yes you had to run from the yeah that's pretty good that is good like, I mean, it, it made sense, and, and I thought his execution was pretty good. I remember he was making the pig tornadoes. Well, whatever they were, they were hunting you. It was pigs. I think it was pigs. Was it? Or deer? I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, I think we have a pretty good idea of what we want to get out of this next weekend. I just want them to put the fucking voting up so I can see. Because the slaughter's still happening. You care much more about that than I do. Uh, the theme could be whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference to me. Well, because what if it's like really, like, there's some pretty shitty themes yeah, that people but submit. Yeah, those are the most fun. Sometimes you get shit products, Dylan. You gotta do what we got. And when I say shitty in this sense, I mean like... I mean like, my creative level is so much higher than whoever came up with that idea. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean like, oddly specific, where like, you can't... You can't really get too creative with it. Like, the yeah, yeah, ones yeah. where it's like, okay, everyone's gonna make the same genre game with this. But the guys that run Ludumdare, I think, have some oversight there, and I bet you they do some, 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 like, background. Probably not, actually. They no, they do. Them. They say they shave off the, I, the, the, the lowest ones, like, mm -hmm. after, like, the first couple days, like, the bottom 2,000 get just cut. Yeah. But, like, that is completely reliant on the state of whoever's voting. Yeah. Yeah! Well, cool. I'm excited. And maybe with another guy there, too, we can get some more 
Staff are moving. I feel better about my... Uh, software skills now, too. So. You want to do some coding? I do. Yeah? Or at least working in Unity. Um, and moving assets into the project while you do some programming or that kind of thing. Well, you see, the problem is, is if we're both running the project, it's going to break. No, that's why we're going to use GitHub. Okay. We're going to run two separate instances and then fork it out and then remerge it. So that, like, if you're trying to test, um, let's say doing character movement, and I want to get in all the background assets for the procedural generation thing, we can fork it out, and then I can throw mine up, and then you can merge it in, and you're able to catch up. We should probably test that before. Well, and I'll show you. I was thinking maybe sometime this week or next week, I can sit down and walk you through how to get GitHub set up. I mean, I have Git up. Like, yeah, but you have GitHub installed? I don't have a GitHub account, but I mean, we, but well, I have Git installed in my um, CLI. No, I know that, but we're going to use a, a GUI for it. Oh. That's not source tree. Is that what it's called? What's it called? No, no, well, I mean, we can use source tree too. Source tree works really well, but the new GitHub's pretty dope, and it works really well. And basically, we just need an easy way to see when we fork out, and it just gives us a visual right. frame of it. Which I mean, I, we can do command line, but that's just a nightmare because no, what happens is we're going to commit and overwrite the edges. Yeah. And then GitHub's a free yeah. repo. Yeah, yeah. So we might as well just use it, or we can use source tree the way. But either way, it's the same thing. Um, but I, I think it, that'll go a long way to it in doing side-by-side -side dev on it. Definitely. Um, and then, uh, another thing is I'd like to use asset store and assets for the programmer art, just testing stuff. Because you can pull them down super easily and then that's no time wasted. Because you get a whole cube suite on there and there's like a whole... Okay. Just using that, because programmer art is not going to go in the final game anyways. Right. Well, there is there is some stuff that I want to, like, make. So if, like, I'm testing an animation, I need to make sure it's triggering. Like, like that's what was good about the last one I did, because basically I had... There's an attack, and so the guy was holding the weapon from behind him, and he would swing it forward. But so there you was had to line up the timing of the swing. Yeah, so yeah. there was a high, mid, and low. And it didn't take that long. I mean, it took, I mean, maybe like an hour and a half to do it. No, 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 that's important too, but I mean like just generic, uh, you Are you know, talking about like backgrounds, like static everything, stuff? Everything that, everything that you don't need programmatically to ex exist, like to react or whatever, just don't even, because there's time that we can spend doing other stuff. Got it. That we, whether that's, you know, doing some drafts on some actual, what final art could look like, or, you know what I mean, like spending our time efficiently so we're not, because the last thing that I want is especially... If you're doing a lot of the programming, when you when your time's pulled off, that's less time that goes. Which I know you want to do a bunch of stuff, which is fine. But I want you when you're going in to do stuff that it's an efficient use of your time. Um, just because you know if there's a game breaking bug, you're going to be the one that's probably going to fix it, not not me. Um, I've been looking at the Ludumdari theme slaughter and I've been trying to find a shitty theme to use as an example and there's I think they got rid of all the shitty themes. Well there you go, Mr. Happening has to worry about it. There is one theme called Rethink a Classic. Mm-hmm. Like that one. Well I'd like to have the, the I'm gonna try to get the ward site up for Ludumdari is my deadline for it. Because I've now redesigned it like three times. That's my deadline for Nightlife too. Alright, well then we can agree that by next time we record, 
We all have something. What are we going to record if Luminary is next weekend? Probably Thursday or Friday. Okay. Um, Gotta think about our class schedules now, man. Well, the other thing is that we can figure out a day, but once we get the website up, it'll actually be going somewhere. So, Dylan, you have anything else you want to talk about? I think we need to put this puppy to bed. What podcast for? Can you say something else? You don't end on that, or you want to end on that? I like that. Okay.